Masechet Baba Kamadaf Sadi Dalid. Amada Baye, Rebishim on Ben Yehuda, Ubet Shamai, Verbieli Ezer Ben Yaakob, Verbishim on Ben El Azar, Verbishmael, Kulehus Yavira Lehu, Shinui Bimkomo Omed. Rebishim on Ben Yehuda had Amaran. So Baye says that the following five Tanaim all agree on the fundamental principle that if some if you make a change in an item it nevertheless remains the same as it was before this relates to the previous discussion and Bishimon ben Yuda is in fact uh, the opinion that we saw already where he said if someone a shearer a, sh- a shepherd shears some wool and he's supposed to give it to the kohen and you need a certain minimal amount in order to give to the kohen now if it's fundamentally changed you doesn't have to give it to the kohen anymore, you only have to give raw wool to the Kohen. So the question was, what kinds of changes represent, make it a new item? Um, so how about dyeing? Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda says, if wool is dyed, then it still combines to make the minimum amount. You still have to, have to give it to the Kohen. So you see, a change, a physical change like dyeing wool, is not considered a significant change, according to Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda. And so, just like he said that, these four other Tanaim also think that um, a physical change in an item is not considered a significant change. It still remains the um, property of the original owner, and this, this the, whatever laws that we're going to be applying different laws to this, they still apply even though it went through that physical change. So that's what Abaye is proposing. Rava, in a few minutes, is going to argue against Abaye. We can see already from this example that there's room to argue because remember we said that when you dye something, it's always possible to remove the dye. With soap, right? And it might be different if it's indigo. Uh, washing um, is also uh, a different, and um, uh, there are other changes that cannot be reversed. Uh, anyway, right now, Bayet is proposing that, according to Bishman Ben Yehuda, a physical change is not considered a significant change. You still have to give the wool. Bet Mayhi. Where does Bet say this principle that a change, uh, even though something undergoes a change, it's not significant, it still has the same status as it had before? Detanya. Natan Be'etnana. Vasaan solit, zetim vasaan shemen, anabi vasayain, vasaan yayin. So, Baita uh, is talking about a payment that's given to a Zona prostitute. She's given wheat in her, as her payment. And then she goes and grinds it into flour. Or, she's given olives, she uh, squeezes it into oil. She's given grapes, and she changes it into wine. Now, we know that anything that is um, a payment given to a Zona, one cannot use um, uh, to, uh, uh, as an offering, to buy an offering uh, to donate to the Beit HaMikdash. But in these cases, it undergoes a physical change. No longer is it the raw material of the wheat and olives and uh, uh, um, and grapes, but now it's fine flour. Can you use that? Uh, or the oil or the wine? Can you, can one donate that very oil and wine and fine flour to the Bet HaMikdash as part of a, as part of an offering? So there's two, but I taught. One says, it's not allowed. It retains the original prohibition. And others say it's permitted because now it's a new item. Yes, when it was given to the zona, that was uh, olives. Now this is a new item that was not here before. Now it's uh, olive oil. And it uh, the change in the physical change creates a status change. Famadav Yosef Tane Gurion de me as porak betchamai osir betilel matirin. These two, but I thought um, this uh, uh, sage identified that betchamai is the one that said it's still not allowed. My tamed betchamai amar kera gam shenehem lerabot shinu yehem. The source of betchamai to say it's not allowed is because the pasuk says here's the pasuk inside lo tabi etnan zonau machir kelib bet adonai elohecha lechol neder ki toabat adonai so these two things, one cannot bring um, to uh, to uh, fulfill a vow. You cannot offer them as a sacrifice because these are an abomination before Hashem. Gam shenehem, both of them. So the word gam is an extra word, and shenehem he is reading as lerabot shinuyehem. So we're including also the change that happens to them. 
not only the raw material that is donated to a zona, that is given to a zona, one cannot donate to the Beit HaMikdash. Also, if, undergoes, if it undergoes a change, it's still prohibited. However, Beit Hillel learned from the word hem, as it says here, um, the, the hem of shenehem means it only, these two items, only as they are in their original form. But once they change form, then it's okay. Obed Shammai, Gam Ketiv Hem. Obed Shammai, what do they do with that fact that it says here the half, half word Hem, meaning only in their original state they would be prohibited. He uses Hem to say only them and not their offspring. Let's say someone gave an animal to a uh, to a zona in payment and then the animal has a child that child can be sacrificed the prohibition does not apply to the child where are they going to learn that law and so we can learn two things from this same particle him and not if it not if it undergoes a change and it itself and not its offspring it undergoes a change or offspring then that becomes permitted to use. doesn't say the word gam, which is an inclusive word, and therefore it should include something else that is also prohibited. That's a question. We're not sure what betilel is going to include with the word gam. And point in any case, we see that according to Bet Shammai, even though this raw material undergoes a serious change, right, it's turned into olive oil or turned into fine wheat. Uh, nevertheless, the original status, the prohibition of um, uh, of uh, the payment of zona, continues and still applies. All right, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Mayhi, where do we see Rabbi Yaakov also has the same opinion that a physical change does not change the legal status? Detanya, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Omer Hadesh, Gazal Seas Shel Chitin, Tehana, Lasha, Afaa, Hifrish Mimenu, Hala. Said that if a person stole flour and he then um, uh, he stole he stole a wheat he stole a essa of a of, of a kernels of wheat and he ground them and kneaded them and baked them and then he took hala. This is interesting because challah usually you take when it's dough, not after it's baked. Um, but there could be cases where you take it after it's baked, like if it's um, uh, very liquidy dough, like a pancake. Uh, anyway, uh, so then he takes challah. And now, so he wants to come and make a blessing over the the mitzvah of taking challah. Is that appropriate to take even though it was stolen? So he says, this is not called a blessing, but rather a curse. It's a blasphemy. You're going to thank you, Hashem, for commanding me to do this special special mitzvah that I'm going to take challah, right, and show that, the, uh, you know, I, uh, every, you're, you're the source of everything that our sustenance. I'm going to donate this to the Kohen. This is not a blessing. You stole this. Hashem doesn't want this. This is an abomination to Hashem. Do not make a blessing on that. What do you see here? That even though he stole the, only the raw material, so you might think that once it undergoes uh, this whole process, now the final product of, of uh, bread, uh, he has now acquired it. It's a new item and loses its stolen status. Rebbe ben Yaakov does not think so, even though it underwent uh, this physical change. It's still called stolen. Rebbe Shimon ben Elazar Mayhi. Where do we see Rebbe Shimon ben Elazar has, has the same opinion? Detanya. Kilalze Amar Rebbe Shimon ben Elazar. From this b'raita, that Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar made a rule, and he says, any time that there's an enhancement of an of an item while it's in the hands of the robber, like he steals uh, he steals a, a, a an ox, and now the ox gets fatter and is worth more. So the robber he has the upper hand, meaning he can make the make the decision if he wants. He can keep the ox that's worth more and pay the original amount that it was. 
Or if he decides, he can say, here's the, the ox that I stole, here it is before you. Let's explain this first. My Kamar, what does he mean? Why would he want to choose uh, to give back the ox if the ox was worth more? Afshad explains, no, it's talking about two different cases. If the ox is worth more than it was, then the robber has a right to keep the, uh, the higher value and pay only the value at the time that he stole. But if it becomes uh, weaker, skinnier, the ox, then the robber could say, I stole the ox, here is the ox before you. I'm just returning the same item. What do we see from here? That even though it underwent a change, uh, it doesn't matter. The, uh, it still is the same ox. And that's why he can say, I'm returning the same item. Oh, yeah, but it, it's, it's skinnier. Maybe it's not the same thing as it was before if it underwent a, uh, underwent a change. No, we say that even though one underwent a physical change, still, this is the stolen item, and he has a right to say, I'm giving you back the stolen item as is. Well, if so, then even if it got if it, if it increased in value, we should say the same thing. Shouldn't the robber have the obligation to return the ox as is? Even though it's fatter now, you just said that a physical change is, is not significant. So if, it's, if a physical change is not significant, the robber has the obligation to return the original item. In general, the robber has to return the item if, it's, um, if it still in, is in existence. So why does he have a choice to decide, you know, I'm going to keep it for myself and I'll only pay the lower value? And the answer to that is, This is because we want to help people repent and uh, make teshuva. So even though you're right, from the letter of the law, it is still the same ox, even though it underwent a, a change and got fatter. And really, from the letter of the law, he should have to return the ox. However, we know people's psychology, and we know that the robber, now that he, he, when he stole it, it was worth 100. Now it's 150. He's going to feel bad. How am I going to make teshuva? Now I'm going to have to lose out on not only the 100 that I stole, but even the 50 that it got fatter while it was um, around, uh, while I had it. And now he's going to say, you know what, I'm not going to make teshuva. So we want to help, even, it's amazing, the rabbis want to help even robbers, give them encouragement to make teshuva, and it's still, he's, he still is returning the amount that he stole, so it's the, the, um, the guy who's the, the victim still gets what was what is coming to him, and so we help out and say, you know what, keep the ox and just pay the original amount in order to um, make an enactment on behalf of uh, encouragement of repentance. But really from the letter of the law, it, we, it remains the same, status, even though it undergoes a physical change, uh, we do not change the legal status. Rabbi Ishmael Maihi, where do we see Rabbi Ishmael also agrees to this principle? Titania, misvat pe'al hafrish min ha'kama, lo hafrish min ha'kama, mafrish min ha'omarim, lo hafrish min ha'omarim, mafrish min ha'keri, ad shelo mereho. Pe'ah is the corner of the field. You're, the idea, ideally, you're supposed to leave it um, while it's attached to the ground, right? The, while the standing, the standing grain is there and not yet harvested, so you're supposed to mark off a corner of the field that is for the poor to take. However, what if he didn't do it to do that and it's already cut down and now um, it's already um, in uh, uh, harvested and in sheaves. So then you leave it. The sh- you leave it in, in the sheaves. The, leave, the sheaves are left out in the field to dry up. So you so you mark off a corner, and the poor people will come and take from the sheaves. But what if he didn't do that? Whatever he forgot, he was lazy, and he didn't mark it off at the time that it was sheaves. And now he already collected it and uh, put it in a grain pile, but didn't yet smooth it over. So then he'll have to separate some from the grain pile, and they say here this. Section of the grain pile, the poor people can come and take. That's fine. However, once he smooths off the grain pile, in other words, he finishes piling it up and smooths it out, that's the last step in the storage process, and it's going to be stored right during for the for the next month so that it'll be available. Uh, and then uh, during the the winter to eat. So once you smooth it out, then the law of ma'asir kicks in. See, before you you smooth it out, you don't you don't you're not yet obligated to give ma'asir, and therefore anything that you give to the poor people, that's fine. They can come in, they can go and take it. But once you smooth it out, now the owner is obligated in ma'asir for all of that. So he has to first give ma'asir on the entire amount, and only then from that which from the leftover after the man said, 
then he gives to the poor a, a section equivalent to the pe'ah that he didn't yet that he didn't yet give. And according to the Bishmael, he adds, let's say he didn't even give to the poor for the pe'ah, not even at the stage of uh, smoothing over, but now he already took the grain and made dough out of it. So he says, even now, you should give a, uh, a, a portion of the dough to the poor instead of the pe'ah that you should have given a long time ago. What do we see here? That even though it undergoes a physical significant change, and now it's not, it's no longer a standing grain, it's very far from standing grain, now it's dough. So you might think, well now that is dough, it's a new item altogether. He missed out on the mitzvah of pe'ah, you should have done it, you didn't do it, now it's a new item altogether, so now you lost out. Um, not so, the Bishmael thinks, even though it went through a physical change of becoming dough, nevertheless, it's still considered the same status as still is the uh, wheat that was there originally, and the law of pe'ah continues to apply even when it is dough. Okay, after Abaye makes his presentation, the Papa's student said, wonders, um, all these Tanaim are piling on, right, and repeating um, their, their positions to teach us that they're all following Bet Shammai, right? Remember, we saw that this was Bet Shammai's opinion that agreed that a physical change does not, is not a, does not make a, 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 still stays the same legally, even though the physical change. And now everybody's agreeing with Bet Shammai. Is this what the big chidush is? Why is everybody agreeing with Bet Shammai? Says, no, no, that's not what he meant. Abaya says, that's not what I meant. I meant to say that. Um, Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel agree on this point. Um, they do, do disagree in that one case before, but in general, um, Bet Shammai says this, and Bet Hillel agrees also, besides that for that one case, and in fact, Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel would agree, and all these Tanaim agree that a physical change does not change the status. Um, so Rava is now going to argue with each and every one of these uh, proofs. And so he says, how do you know? Maybe not. Rabbi Shimon ben Yehuda, who said that if you dye wool, you still, uh, it still adds up to the minimum amount that you have to give to the Kohen for the Shita Gez. Uh, maybe the reason isn't because of this principle that a physical change is, uh, is not significant, but rather because it was dying. And dying is a reversible um, uh, change because you can always remove it with soap. But we wouldn't say that if it was an irreversible thing um, like dyeing with indigo or washing. So maybe to be Shimon ben Yudah does not actually follow this principle across the board. And uh, Bet Shemai, who said that regarding um, Etnan Zona, um, uh, where even though she changes it from raw material to wine and oil and fine flour, maybe only in that case it cannot be donated um, because we're talking about giving it to Most High. And this is something repugnant. You're going to take something that was given to a Zona and so there we're extra machmir and even though it goes through a change it's still not allowed but maybe that's an exception and in general uh, Bet Shammai would agree that a physical change does make it a new item and maybe Rabbi Eliezer Ben Yaakov who talked about stealing wheat and then um, asking, you know, what what uh, what beracha you'd say for halah? He says, you don't say a beracha. Maybe there it's an exception because this is a mitzvah, mitzvah of, of giving halah that is uh, dependent on making or doing a transgression. And anytime you do a mitzvah, ba'ba the mitzvah is worthless. So that's why you don't say a beracha because there's no mitzvah there in the in, to begin with. But it's not because of the general principle that a physical change is not significant. Maybe in general he would agree that a physical change does make it a new item. And Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar only said in that case of stealing a, uh, an animal and, it, and then it gets so weak and skinny that the robber still returns the item he, uh, as is 
because that change is not considered significant. That's only because in that case, it's a reversible change. It, just like it became uh, skinny, you can fan it up and it'll become regular again. That's why it's not considered a significant change and that's why the robber can return. This is here, the item is still here as is. But if it was a uh, a change that was irreversible, then Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar may very well agree that it's a new item and that he would not have to return it. But, and Rabbi Ishmael, uh, um, when he said that even if you um, uh, didn't, didn't leave Pe'ah out in the field and now you made dough out of it, you still have to give you still have to give a portion of that dough to the poor. That's only because there's an extra pasuk that says ta'azov. It says that word um, both in Vayikra chapter 19 and in chapter 23. Ta'azov meaning leave it, give it, leave it for the leave it for the poor. So that's why there's an extra chumrah that you have to leave it even though it's uh, you turned it into dough. But this is an exception to the rule. And in general, if something undergoes a physical change, then it would not be the same thing anymore and it would not have the same legal status. And if you say, wait, it may be according to Bishmael, uh, even even though you have a pasuk, because you have a pasuk regarding pe'ah, ta'azov, twice, so we can use that as a paradigm and learn to all other cases that a physical change um, does not change the legal status and whatever law applied to before continues to law, to apply to it. And so this is not, don't treat this as an exception, but rather as a paradigm. And no, we cannot say that because um, give, uh, gifts to the poor are different from other halachot, right? They have their own peculiarities that do not apply to other halachot. Where do we see that? Rabbi Yochanan asked about this very topic. He says, what was, what's the reasoning of Rabbi Ishmael? Is it because he thinks that uh, undergoing a change does not make, make something a new item such that one acquires it, right? And so here, the farmer who uh, changed it from wheat to uh, to dough um, is, does not is that that change is not significant and he does not acquire it as a new item just like a robber would not acquire something that undergoes a physical change and so that's why in general he thinks this I mean that's exactly what um, Abaye uh, was trying to prove from the be uh, from Ibn Ishmael that in general he thinks a, a physical change is not significant is that the reason or maybe this is what Rava was arguing in general the uh, Ishmael agrees that a change is does acquire it if a thief steals something and changes it then it then it's a new item and he has it it's his and then he only has to pay the money the monetary value of when he stole it and here the case of dough that um, um, for pe'ah is different because it says ta'azov twice that's why you have to give it twice this is the, this is an exception we can learn from Rabbi Yonatan's question a couple of things number the, well, number one that he does not assume that you can make a binyan av that just because it says ta'azov here regarding chala and so that means in the case of chala a change is not significant so too in all the rest of the uh, of halachot, shinui uh, is not uh, a change does not undergo. He does not make uh, that kind of binyan av, and so apparently because matinotaniim is a separate category of law um, that sometimes there are we are very stringent to make sure that we pay and uh, give and help out the poor, and it would not necessarily apply to other cases. Um, we also learned from Rabbi Yonatan that he's not sure which way to go. Um, is it like Rava or like Abaye? Um, which way does it be? Ishmael think in general. So he had a question about this and therefore we cannot claim definitively um, uh, like uh, um, Abaye already pre uh, for, uh, first presented. Now we have a, a question on one of these choices. If Ishmael thinks in general in all of halacha, a change is not significant and the, uh, the slave would not acquire it. It does not change the legal status. Um, so therefore, in the case of Pe'ah, the reason why you have to give it, even though it already is dough, is because 
changing form doesn't matter. So that's just a general rule. If so, then why do I need the extra word Tazov? What is it coming to teach? I don't need it to teach this law of Chala. And furthermore, according to the Banan, who disagree with Rabbi Ishmael, and uh, they thought that once it becomes dough, that's it, you don't have to, you would not give Pe'ah anymore. So that word Tazov, what would they learn from it? And the answer is, for both of them, Abedaita teaches that someone who makes his fear, his vineyard, hefker. The reason why someone would do that is because they want to get out of paying ma'asir. You only have to give ma'asir on your own a field, but if you make your field hefker, uh, then you don't have to take ma- separate ma'asir. Now, there's a danger in doing this, is that if you make your field hefker, someone else can come and take it. So what people will do is they, they make their field hefker at night, and then early in the morning before anyone else is up, before anyone else is likely to get there, they come and they harvest the field, um, and so that way they get out of hefker. But this Baraita teaches that even though it's true, Patumin had Hefker, nevertheless, he has to leave all the gifts for the poor, uh, including uh, individual grapes that fell, incomplete clusters, um, uh, forgotten clusters, and Pe'a, uh, the corner of a vineyard, all have to be left for the poor because of the extra word Ta'azov. You have to leave it, and even if you make it Hefker, and you don't have to, you don't have to give Ma'asir, it's true, you still have to give Pe'a, and the gifts to the poor. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shemuel, Halakha Kedabi Shimon ben El Azar. Rav Yehuda says in the name of the Amora Shemuel, Halakha follows Rabbi Shimon ben El Azar that if the robber stole an animal and then it got skinnier, he can return the animal as is. Therefore, assuming that a physical change is not does not constitute a legal change, it's still the same animal and you can return it as is. Here's the question. Did Shemuel really say that Halakha is like that, like Rabbi Shemuel ben Elazar? But after all, Shemuel also said that we do not make appraisals for thieves and robbers, but only for damages. In the case of damages, if my ox kills your ox, then uh, what we do is we say, you, you keep your dead ox, we evaluate how much that is worth, and then we see the difference of uh, how much I would have to pay to make up the, to make up the difference of the value of the, um, uh, of the live ox. So in that case, yeah, yes, you keep the uh, dead animal, but that's only for Nezakin. Uh, but in the case of a robber, if a robber steals an animal, then the robber keeps the animal and instead he pays the value if there was under, if they underwent a change. He pays the value of it and does not give back not give back the original. So we see a contradiction. On the one hand, you tell you told me that Shemuel thinks the halakha is like Rabbi Shimon ben Al-Azhar, in which case in, in that case says you uh, return the animal itself. But here you said Shemuel um, does not make appraisals for uh, thieves, meaning that the thief keeps the animal that changed and he pays the value of the animal. So which one is it? So we can explain this contradiction just fine according to Rava, who remember before was arguing against Abaye, and Abba said, when Shimon ben Lazar said his halakha, that you return the animal as is, that's when it got skinny in a way that is reversible, that you could just fan it up again. So therefore, that kind of change, that's a temporary change, a change is not considered legally significant, and that's why he returns the animal. So, uh, when uh, Shemuel said, Halakha is like Rabbi Shimon ben Al-Azad, he was talking about a case where it's reversible, and that's why the changed item remains the same status, and you have to return the item, uh, the robber returns the item as is. However, when Shemuel said this statement, that we do not make evaluations for thieves, but only for damage, 
damages. That's, that was talking about a weakening or change of the animal that is not reversible. If it's not reversible, then that's why the, um, uh, the robber keeps the animal and pays the amount that is due, the amount, the value that is owed. So we can explain all that. It makes sense for Rava because Rava assumed that the original statement of Bishop Ben Azad was only referring to a to reversible damage. That's why he can uh, um, give back the animal. But according to Abaye and his in his original presentation, he did not make a distinction between reversible and irreversible changes, and he said that Bishimon Ben Elazar's halacha that the um, robber uh, can, if he wants, uh, the, uh, return the animal itself. That was talking about um, a, even if it's irreversible, right? Meaning that a physical change does not constitute a legal change at all. If so, and Shemuel said that's the halacha, then we really do have a contradiction between the other statement of Shemuel, who says that the, the thief um, keeps the animal and pays. Amar Abaye Matne Hachi Amar Rav Yehuda Amar Shemuel Amru Halacha Kerbi Shimon Ben Lazar Velet La Sebira Le Abaye can answers by saying. This, he has a different version of the statement that was quoted in the name of Shemuel. And in his version, Rav Yudah said in the name of Shemuel, that Shemuel said, they say, he's quoting others who think that Halacha is like Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. But Shemuel himself does not think Halacha is like Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. Shemuel's personal opinion is that a change, a physical change, does change ownership and the thief keeps the item and only pays um, but uh, he was um, uh, so only, uh, and uh, he was only saying that others think that that a physical change even irreversible one does not constitute a legal change teaches that from the letter of the law of the Torah, a, even if a, um, a stolen item had, undergoes a change, still the thief returns it as is, no matter what state it's in, whether it gets fatter or, or, or skinnier or changes. And, and we know this from the Pasuk, that the robber returns the item that he stole. Why do you have to say returns the stolen item that he stole? Um, so the extra words, um, teach no matter what is in what state it's in. And if you ask, what about our Mishnah that says that if he uh, t- turned it turned it into a wool into a sweater, right, or changed uh, the wood into a chair, then he doesn't return it. What about that? Oh, that's a Dirabanan level where the rabbis say because we want to encourage people to make Teshuvah and now that he in, in, increased its value and changed it into something else, he, then he would not want to return it and that would prevent him from making Teshuvah. So it's the rabbis that come and say, you know what, thief, keep the item and if you, if, if, as long as you make Teshuvah, you pay, just pay the amount, the original amount, and you don't have to return the actual item. But now we ask, did Rabbi Yochanan really say that? Rabbi Yochanan generally says that halacha follows the Stam Mishnah. And the Stam Mishnah Masechet Chulin that we saw yesterday said that if a shearer, a, a shepherd, um, is supposed to give the shitagez, the first uh, wool, um, and he has supposed you give it in the in the original state only, and uh, but if he did not give it and then he dyed it, then that's considered a significant change, and then he does not have to give it to the kohen anymore. So we see that. This, according to this Mishnah, and this would be the letter of the law, because there's no takanata shavim for the for giving things to a kohen, for giving the shita I guess to a kohen. So here we're talking about not in something that where the takanata shavim would not apply to, but rather what the deoraita law would apply to. So we see here in this Mishnah that the deoraita law is that something that undergoes a, a physical change is significant and is no longer have the original law applied to it. Um, but in uh, in this statement, the, first, the earlier statement up here, Rabbi Yochanan said that according to the letter of the law, even if a thief changes an item, nevertheless. 
unless it remains the same legal status. He does not acquire it, he has to return it as is. So we see a contradiction between the two statements of Rabbi Yochanan. So a certain rabbi whose name was Rabbi Yaakov explained. I heard an explanation directly from Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan only said his explanation of our Mishnah when it was talking about a case of wood that was already sanded, pre-sanded when he stole it. And he turned it into wood, he turned it into a chair, where it's easy to just take it apart and t- turn it back into its original state. In other words, it's reversible. So Rabbi Yochanan, when he said that the letter of the law of the Torah is you return a thing as is, that was only talking about reversible changes. Those are not significant changes, and so returned it as is. Um, but if it's, if it's an irreversible change, like the coloring, or we're following the opinion that coloring is an ir- irreversible change here, um, if it's an irreversible change, then he, the robber would acquire it and does not have to return it. So that um, explains that Rabbi Yochanan really was here, was only talking about reversible changes. And even there in reversible changes, it's midrabanan, the rabbis, they came and said, listen, it, according to Torah law, if it's an irreversible change, then you keep it and you pay the money. That's for sure. It's a new item. Uh, but even if it's a reversible change, where, according to the Torah, you have to return the item itself, the rabbis came and said, you know what? We want to help people even in they uh, make repentance even in these cases. And so even if it's a reversible change, still robber, you can keep your chair that you made and pay the amount of the wood that you stole. An amazing statement to see how the extent to which the rabbis wanted people to make, encouraged people to make Teshuvah. Someone is a robber or a usurer who takes um, interest on loans and now they want to make, they want to repent and they come to return the stolen item or to return that interest that they, that they took. You should not accept it from them. And someone who accepts that stolen item, they're talking about the victim whose item was stolen. Um, if he accepts the returned item, the rabbis are not happy with him, with, with, with him because uh, by doing so, you're making it more difficult for people to repent in general. Rather, the rabbis say, if a person comes, a, a, a thief, or user, usurer who's been doing this for, for a long time and he wants to repent and he says, listen, I stole this, I stole your item, here it is, I'm paying you back, right? I took interest from you, I wasn't allowed to, I'm paying you back. You should refuse it, forget about it. Okay, past was past is past, you stole this item. We really want you to make Teshuvah and turn over a new leaf because if he knows that everybody's going to have to pay everybody back, then he won't make Teshuvah in the first place. This is quite astounding that we would not uh, accept something back. Now, here, it must be that we're only talking about someone who is coming to make Teshuvah. We're not talking about someone who was caught by uh, by uh, by witnesses and now is being forced to. That person is not, um, you know, he has to. He has to return the item. That's the that's obviously the letter of the law. But rather, we're, coming, we're talking about someone who's coming on his own and maybe he's been a thief or a usurer for years and now if he has to return every item that he ever stole, or all the interest, then um, he just wouldn't be able to, or he'd be totally bankrupt. And so this person, he comes on his own initiative, sincerely, to really make Teshuvah, to turn over a new leaf, to change his life around. So in that case, we should encourage him and um, give him the ability to do so by uh, forgetting about, forgiving the stolen items that he had taken. Rabbi Yochanan says, this law that the rabbis decided um, was uh, was uh, decided during the time of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. That's when this Baraita was taught. The Tanya. One time there was a guy, a thief, who wanted to repent. And his wife said, you empty person, right? You foolish person. If you repent, you're going to have to return everything that you have. Even the belt that you're wearing is not yours. Everything you have is stolen. It's not like he has a regular job and he had most of the things. He stole one or two things. Okay, then you can return it. But you're going to be left with zero because everything you have is ill-gotten. 
So the guy says, oh, you're right. This is a bad idea. And so he didn't make Teshuvah. It's at that time the rabbis heard about the story and they realized if we go on like this, even though really from the letter of the law, obviously he has to return all the items that he stole. Nevertheless, if we go by that, uh, then no one will ever make Teshuvah because it's too hard. So then they got up and said, those uh, thieves and usurers who make Teshuvah, don't, it, don't take it back, right? They should offer it, but you shouldn't take it. And if you take it, the rabbis, I mean, it is yours um, legally, but the rabbis are not pleased with such a person. We're going to have a few challenges to this law that you don't, re- don't accept a returned item from a thief. Let's say there was a father who lent on interest. Um, and then the father died and he left that money, Ilga and Gain, to his uh, sons as inheritors. Even if the sons know that the money that they inherited was interest money that his father took illegally, nevertheless, they don't have to return it. This is a really, a, uh, you know, a, a difficult question, right? They inherited it and they know their suspicions about the, how the father got them. What's their responsibility? So here it says they don't have to return it. We can infer that they don't have to return it, but the father himself, did have an obligation to return it. So this um, is against the halacha before that a person that repents doesn't have to return it. The answer is In fact, even the father would not be required, obligated to return it because this is after the takana where someone who repents does not have to return such an item, uh, the items that they stole. Um, and so the truth is it would be true for the father. So why did the Baraita talk about the sons? Because it wanted to continue with the Sefa, where it says, if the father left them a cow or a garment or any, any other specific item that the father stole, then the sons should inherit it because of the honor of the father. Um, uh, if, you, if the uh, actual item is there, right, this, uh, this particular garment that the father stole, and now, you know, what are the sons going to do? They're going to be wearing it around. Everybody's going to say, oh, that's the garment that the father stole. Or the cow's going to be walking around. That's the cow that the father stole. So um, this is a dishonor to the father. So you should return it. Um, whereas with money that the father took illegally, I mean, money is money. It's not identifiable. And so there, it will not bring dishonor to the father. So because it wanted to teach the Second part that applies to the sons, to the to, to the sons, uh, also that the sons have even the sons. Of course, the father has to return a stolen cow, but even the sons have to return a stolen cow. So that's why, for just for the sake of parallelism, the Resha also is said in terms of the sons that the sons don't have to return usury money. But even though the even though it's true that the father also, if he makes the shuba, does not have to return the usury money. Wait a second, why should we care about the honor of the father? Um, that we're going to return the the cow and the talit so people don't speak badly and say, oh, look at this thing, that's the thing from, that father, from the father who died and that he stole it. Why don't we say, apply the pasuk that says, you should not curse a ruler among your people, but that's only if he is among your people, meaning he follows halacha, he's a tribe observant, he does the right thing, he's a moral leader, then you cannot curse him. But if he's a wicked ruler, then you should curse him. And here, this guy, this that applies to other people too. This father um, was a wicked person. He was, uh, he was a thief. He was a usurer. So why should we care about his honor? Let people say, oh, look at that. That belongs to that guy who was a thief and curse be upon him. Why do, why do we care about his honor? The answer is, Rabbi Pinchas answered in a different case that I was talking about someone who made Teshuvah. We could apply the same thing here. It's where the father repented. Then, Once someone repents, then you should not bring up their past. You shouldn't say, oh, remember when you were a lowlife? You shouldn't curse someone now that they've made Teshuvah. So that's why we want to protect the honor of the father and the sons should therefore return a specific item that they stole. Wait a second, if the father made Teshuvah, then why does he still have the cow and the 
and the stolen garment. He should have returned it already. He should have returned it, but the problem is he died before he got a chance. Right already, he was sick. And he made Teshuvah, he says, okay, I'm making Teshuvah, I'm going to return everything, but he died. So therefore, the son, it goes to the sons, and the son should return the specific items. Okay, so we answered that. Next question, Tashema. Hagazlanin mahazirin, robbers and usurers, although they took the stolen items of the interest, they have to return it. Um, so first we have to clarify what this baraita means. Gazlanin, gavu ika. If you're talking about thieves, what does it mean that which they collected? They didn't collect anything, they stole it. Gezul, gezul. Vila gezul, la gezul. If they stole it, call it things that they stole. And if they didn't stole it, then they're not robbers. Rather, we understand like this. The thieves, and what thieves are we talking about? Usurers. Usurers are also thieves. Right, they're taking interest that's not permitted. Even though they collected interest, still they should return it. So how could you say they should return it? It goes against what we said above, that someone who makes the shuvah, um, a usurer, does not need to return it. The answer is, they have an obligation to return that which they stole. It's the people that they stole from who have an obligation not to accept it, right? So it's two different things. Just for, for takanat shavim doesn't mean that the, the guy who stole doesn't have to return it or the usual doesn't have to return it. They, they're coming to make the shubah. They have to offer to give back everything that they stole. But we, the victims who from whom it was taken, should not accept it in order to encourage them to um, to repent. So what's the point of uh, offering to return it? To fulfill their obligation to heaven. Because part of the process of repentance is that you um, uh, undo, uh, do your best to undo that which you did, um, the, the bad that you did. So we, uh, we, that, they, they have to do that. They have to do their part. That's the the um, sinner's responsibility. And the victim's responsibility is to say, you know what? We want to forgive you, right? What's done is done. If they were, if the guy wasn't going to make Teshuvah anyway, uh, then the, the victim still wouldn't have gotten back their, their item. So, you know, uh, you weren't going to get your, back, your back, item your back if you didn't make Teshuvah. So now, forget about the item. Forgive and help the um, the guy make Teshuvah. Tashema, Haroim Vagabaim, Vamoxin, Teshubatan Kashe, Umahazirin, La Makirin. Another challenge to this law that you don't accept things from robbers. Here it says shepherds, uh, shepherds of small animals. It's very hard for them to control the small animals and they go and inevitably graze in other people's fields and that's stealing and they're stealing from lots of different people because every time they walk around, whatever field they're near, they're going to go and take from that uh, person's grass. And also different types of tax collectors, uh, either one that that gets uh, purchases the right uh, to collect taxes, or they get from they they um, uh, get the right from the government to collect taxes. In those days, there wasn't the government didn't have their own apparatus to collect taxes. They would hire some you know uh, tough guys to collect it or um, uh, auction off the right to collect taxes. Uh, the problem with the tax collectors is that often they would use that authority and strength to take more than the government actually asked for and then just keep it for themselves so they were tax collectors were um, just like widespread thieves more like um, mafia thugs um, so these people because they steal so much from so many different people it's very difficult for them to make Teshuvah how, how are they going to return all the different things that they stole they stole, stole from everyone um, and um, that, uh, so that's very difficult and they have to return but whoever they know that they stole from, oh, I remember specifically that I took my uh, my my sheep and I grazed on that guy's land for a few hours, so we can calculate if they ha if they know who to return to, they have to return the items. So you see here that they do return the money. That goes against what we said above that you that um, if they're making teshuvah, they don't have to return the money. And the answer is similar. Amri machazirin ve'en mehen. They have to offer to return it. We the victims should not accept it. 
it. And so why are they bothering to return it? To fulfill their obligation to heaven. That's part of the Teshuvah process. Well, then why are you saying that their repentance is difficult? It's actually easy, right? They come, they offer, anyone who I stole from, I'm going to return anything you want. Well, no one's going, no, everyone's going to, is supposed to, for, forgive them. And so they should, they will be able to make Teshuvah easily. And the, the continuation of that Baraita is that those who they do not recognize as victims, they don't remember that they even stole from them. So how are you going to return? They know that they got, they got money um, illegally from their various people, but they don't know who. So how do you make Teshuvah for that? By doing public good, right? Do public service. Um, and how do you do public service by digging pits, ditches, and caves to collect water for the, on behalf of all of the people. So that's a way to give back to the general public. So you see here that they have to uh, go ahead and return uh, whatever they can. Rather, an easier answer is that this, that Baraita was talking about before the Takana. Before the Takana, someone who um, the uh, the shepherds and the tax collectors, we tell them, listen, very difficult for you guys to make Teshuvah. Anything that you know that you stole, you have to return. Any Otherwise, you have to do communal service. So that was all before the Takana, when, yes, they would have to give and the people would accept it. After the Takana, then uh, things changed. And then, yes, well, they still have to offer, but no one, uh, everybody should reject their offer. And then, the, for them, it would be easy to repent and they would not have to do public service um, community service and dig pits. However, that answer, those answers were good before. But now we have a new answer because Rav Nachman said that when the sages say that you don't have to return what you stole, that's what's only talking about when the item is no longer around. Then he pays money and doesn't return the item. Um, but where if the item um, exists, then you have to return it. So now that we have that distinction of Rav Nachman, we can even say that both of these Baraitot are after the Takana. That is the original Baraita that said that um, you should not accept things from thieves that repent, and the Baraita says that you, uh, the uh, thief does have to return the items. Vela Kashyan, there's no contradiction. Kan begezela kayemet, kan besheen gezela kayemet. When we said that they have to return it, um, like over here when we talked about these uh, the shepherds and the tax collectors that's where the item is still around so then they have to return it whereas when we said earlier that they do not you do not accept it from them and they do not have to return it that was talking about where the original item was not available anymore hold on remember the whole story from which the rabbis decided that they should make this takana was about the belt that the guy uh, wanted to repent and the wife said even your belt you're going to have to return which sounds Sounds like the belt is present, and yet that's the case and about which they made the takana and said, you know what? They you don't have to you don't don't accept anything from them. They don't have to return an item. And here, even though the item exists, my abnet de me abnet. Oh, what does it mean? The belt? Not that the belt itself exists, but the value of the belt. He had already sold the belt, gotten rid of it. And the, what the wife meant is that even the value of that belt that you stole, right? Everything that you have, um, that, but it's uh, talking about the, the monetary value, not the item itself. Does this mean to say that even after the takana that the rabbis made, that was only talking about where the item is not available? But if the original item is there, then the rabbis did not apply the takana to that, and a repentant thief has to return the actual item. Uh, regarding a beam uh, that uh, was stolen, we um, and that's around, and they get the Mishnah in Masechet Gitin says that the rabbis made a takana regarding a beam that was stolen, and then the person built it into his house, and now he wants to make Teshuvah. In order to return the actual item that is does exist, it's right there, he would have to take out the beam and then the whole house would fall down. So the rabbis uh, said, you know what? We make a takana and you can just pay the value of it because we want 
to encourage people to make Teshuvah. So here's a case where the beam actually exists, and yet the rabbis applied the Takana even to an existent item and said, you don't have to return the actual item, only the value. And the answer is, In this case, um, because... Um, there is a tremendous value, a tremendous loss uh, that he would lose out on the entire building, and then that would prevent people from make tish, making teshuvah. The rabbis consider it as if it is not in existence, and that's why they said, you know what? Um, uh, once you put it in your building, you can keep the uh, the the beam, and you only have to pay for the monetary value of it. Baruch Adonai Amen.